Good deal. You never pray too much. All right, if you guys could flip over to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Title of tonight's message is Remembering God's Goodness. And it's going to be a little different in how we do it. Um, it's not going to be as long, at least that's my intention. Um, and at the end of it, uh, I'm going to ask that we pray in, prayer, or pray in groups, um, two or three. So start thinking of that, um, whatever God's laying on your heart, um, to try and build that accountability and kind of put some action what we look at tonight. Um, so again, Psalm 78. Um, so it's a long psalm, and I'm not going to give you the whole backstory of how I came to this, um, but God's really been working on my heart on just keeping things in perspective, especially in light of, you know, the horrible news, you know, hearing about Josephine and uh, just cancer and what it can do and illnesses and disasters and accidents that happen in this world. In light of all that, where do we stand? Um, You know, where's our hope? Where's our anchor? Uh, So Psalm 78. So Psalm 78 deals primarily, actually 100% with the nation of Israel. And when Moses was... uh, working with them and God was drawing them out of Egypt and it's really a chapter of remembrance it's a chapter going back to what God did for the nation of Israel when they were in Egypt what he did when he brought them out what he did while they were in the wilderness and how he ultimately delivered them and the nation of Israel their response and you'll see a cycle and you'll see you know God doesn't take the disobedience of Israel lightly just like he doesn't take our disobedience lightly so again my prayer is that these These things would really come to light for you. So Psalm 78, uh, following along in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 11. Uh, So give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And that same command is said to us right now. So I will open my mouth at a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing it to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So everything that their fathers, these past generations have known, they're commanded to make them known to their children. That the generation, verse 6, to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's the whole reason why they're trying to tell these future generations so that they might keep God's commandments. Verse 8. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. And forget, here's the key, key verse 11, and forget his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Everything that God had did, okay, remember the nation of Israel, they physically saw these miracles, these deliverances. You know, if you were there with the parting of the Red Sea, if you were there during all the 10 plagues, if you were there when God sent manna from heaven, if you were there when he caused water to come out of a rock, do you think that would change you? Absolutely. That's something that you'd be telling the whole world about. They saw, they saw these things happen, and they still fell back. They still went after other gods. They still forgot those works that happened a year back, a couple years back. Those wondrous works, they forgot them. So point number one, we are all susceptible to forgetting the works of the Lord. 
And the reason all is capitalized and emphasized is because, again, these people saw the physical movement of God. We have something that reveals the physical movement of God, and that's the Bible. We see changed lives. We see God working in our own lives, or at least we should. These people saw God deliver them physically, and they still forgot those works. They still forgot what God did. Even being led of a prophet of God, which should really sober us and remind us that we are all susceptible of forgetting what God has done for us. So your first check mark, the simple fact that you're alive today is proof that God has been good to you, lost or saved. This, we live in a society where it's very easy to get down. It's very easy to get depressed. There's honestly, and there's a lot to be depressed about. There's a lot that, that's heavy. Especially, I was talking to Brandy this past month. There's a, there's a lot of stuff this last month that has just been weighing on our hearts. It's been hard to get up in the morning. You almost have the mentality of what's going to come now. And even, you know, another cancer. It's no coincidence. Satan uses these things to try and get us down and out to forget the wondrous works of God. You know, Acts 17 talks about, we're not going to turn there, talks about that God gives breath to all things, and in him we live and move and have our being. If you've ever heard Pastor Rory say that in his prayers, that's where he gets that from. If you're alive today, lost or saved, God has been good to you. If you're saved, you still have a purpose. You still have a mission. Your sin has not eliminated you. And if you're lost, God is calling out to you to have a relationship with him. Don't delay. Don't ignore that call. Flip over to Psalm 118. I like this verse, and it applies to everybody that's sitting in here if you're saved. Verse 18, the Lord, the Lord hath chastened me sore, and praise God for that, but he hath not given me over unto death. You know, God chastises us not to bring us pain, not to hurt us, not to bring us unto death. He chastises us to turn us in the right direction. So again, if you're sitting here and you've gone through something difficult, the Lord has chastised you, but you're not dead yet. There's still more that God wants to do to you. He has been very, very good to you. And as we'll see, the price is steep when you lose sight of this. Very steep. When you forget God's goodness. Just like the previous generations, as we looked at in verses 4 through 8, and their mistakes were to be learned of by the nation of Israel, they're also to be learned of us. The same God that woke them up, and we'll see the different things he used, through judgment, trials, and even death, that same God is who is our Father today. And think about this. Based on how we live sometimes, and I know me personally, that should send a shivering, sobering fear up and down your spine. Think about the things that we get away with as Christians, or we think we get away with. That same God who enacted judgment back in the Old Testament, that same God is alive and well today and is our God, the same God of the Bible. And he doesn't put up with that. What does God need to wake you up about? What does God need to rattle your life about? You know, and I've been thinking about that all day today because I, I look at circumstances and, and I think, you know, why is that happening? What is God trying to do in Monmouth right now? 
And it's a lot easier if we can react to the Bible without God needing circumstances like that. It's a lot easier if we can read scriptures in the Bible that tell us to wake up and we wake up on our own. The nation of Israel, they didn't do that. And God had to wake them up through judgment, through trials, and through death. Next check mark. We have a fleshly tendency. So this is where this comes from. We have a fleshly tendency to focus on the negatives in every facet of life. Every facet of life. You know, we'll make the statements. I'll make these statements. You know, why is this happening to me? Or this isn't fair. Or I deserve better. Or I don't like that. Or whatever. The, the, the complaints are endless. But we need to understand we deserve hell. Everyone. On our best day, we deserve to spend an eternity in a lake of fire separated from God in torment forever and ever and ever. How often do you think about that truth, that reality? It's not something that's said a lot. On our best day, on our day that we're in the Bible more than we ever have been before, that we're praying to God, that we're witnessing, even on that day, our righteousness is still but filthy rags. And we deserve an eternity in hell. How often do you think about that? Do you see yourself like that every day? Or do you think you're hot stuff? Do you wake up and you don't see an issue? Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6. This is how Isaiah saw himself. Holding your place in Psalm 78, by the way. When you're faced with the reality of God and who He is, how do you see yourself? Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is seeing this. Look at his reaction, verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw God in his glory. When faced with God's glory, when faced with his perfection, do you see yourself for the wretched sinner that you are? And how do we see that? How do we see God's glory today? Every time this book is opened, every Sunday morning when Stephen's up here, every Wednesday night when Rick and I are up here, do you see yourself like that? Every morning, hopefully, that you guys are in the Bible, do you see yourself like that? Do you read this book and it pierces your heart and you realize how lost you are without Jesus Christ. How deprived you are without Jesus Christ. What he has saved you from. We have a hard time remembering God's goodness because we focus on the negative so often. That's what I'm going through. And it's something we got to pray about. We got to work on. And I know this seems harsh. And trust me, like I said, God's really been tearing my heart up with these things today. 
and I hate saying these things, but we play very dangerous and quite frankly, damning game when we don't have this perspective. When we think this life is all about us, when we think this life is about the here and now, when we're so focused on our life circumstances right here and now, and we lose sight of what God did, just like the nation of Israel did. God's gift of salvation, and really think about this, God's gift of salvation outweighs any lottery, any pay raise, any recognition, any material good, any friendship, anything that attempts to satisfy us in this life. Think about how you would react if you went home today and you found out that you won the billion dollar lotto. You probably would show a hint of excitement, correct? The salvation that we received in Jesus Christ outweighs 10 of those, a billion of those. I would be the most miserable person on this planet if I won every single lottery, but in the end I was going to die and spend eternity in hell. It's, it's so reversed. Why don't we live like that every day? Because we forget God's goodness. We forget that salvation. We forget what we've been saved from. And we're going to try and put ourselves in those shoes as we continue on with point number two. God provides and protects above all that we ask or think. So back to Psalm 78. So he details in this psalm over and over the things that he did. We're not going to look at all these, but I do want to look at some. Verse 12. Okay, so picking up verse 11 again. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. What are those things that God did for the nation of Israel? Verse 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zone. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as in heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, in all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Jump down to verse 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh upon, the du- upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations." God's very nature, your first check mark, desires to give us a peaceful, purposeful life. No matter what circumstance you're in, that is God's nature. That is what he wants for us. But we have to receive that. As with everything in the Bible, as with God's very love that he desires from us, it's a choice. Flip over to Jeremiah 29. A couple books to your right. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. We're just building a foundation. Jeremiah 29, start in verse 10. It says, For thus saith the Lord, that after seven years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. So Israel, they were in captivity under Babylon for 70 years. Okay, and perform my good work, my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. 
Verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me. It's personal. You have to make the decision. And ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from the nations, from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. God has that desire, that same desire that he did for Jeremiah and the nation of Israel. has that same desire for you today. But notice how personal it is in those verses. Ye call upon me, ye seek me. How often do you call upon the Lord in those circumstances? How often are you seeking the Lord? It requires you to remember his goodness. Flip over to Jeremiah 31, just a couple pages over. This is the kind of love that, that God has for us. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I, have I drawn thee. There's no greater love in this world that's shown unto us that the Father has given us. No greater love. But we lose sight of that. It goes back to that comment about the lottery and our perspective on salvation and how we always, we continually, we focus on the negative. We have a tendency to look at what's wrong rather than what's right with us and what God has done for us. Why do we do that? How often we do that and it detracts us. And it detracts us. God will chasten us just like he allowed Israel to be taken captive, just like a parent chastens their kid in Proverbs, and we're not going to turn there. But when this is followed by a repentant heart, the fellowship that is restored is far sweeter than anything imaginable. I, you know, God is a genius in how he builds these pictures. Our relationship with him is very similar to our relationship with our kids. There's no sweeter fellowship I have with my kids than after I spank them and it's followed with a repentant heart. You know, Brandy and I were talking about this today. When you discipline your kid and they're still disobedient, they still have a rotten attitude, that is hard. It rips your heart out. Because you know what it means you have to do? It means you have to chastise them again and again and again. You know what it does? It gives us insight into God's heart. How often does he have to chastise us? How often does he have to wake us up? I mean, how sick and tired, think of you personally, how sick and tired is God getting of chastising you? The same sin that he's having to draw you out of. And he's like, why don't you just wake up? Look at what you're doing. I have given you victory over that sin. And it's the same thing with our kids. It's the same thing God, same thing God has with us. It tears his heart up. You know, we say this over and over. It's about a relationship. It's not a religion. God has emotions. He has feelings. He loves us. And we tear his heart out every time we don't obey his chastisement, that we don't come back with a repentant heart. And Jeremiah, when, they, when he drew them out of Babylon, he said, look, I want to give you an expected end. I have a purpose for your life, but you need to choose to do that. I'm not going to force you to do that. That's not love. That's forced duty. That's slavery. God wants us to choose to love him. You know, have you ever stopped to think about 
Really think about this. Have you ever stopped to think about the level of humility the Lord displays by taking the time and patience to work with us and refine us? Think about that. The God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, takes time to put us in situations where we're refined, we're tested, we're grown, we're strengthened. He doesn't just give us over to a circumstance to say, figure it out. He takes the time to intimately place things to try and give us success. It's no different than, different than with our kids, except I only have two of them. God has billions, millions that he's dealing with. And he takes time on a personal level, on one-on-one. You ever think about that? When you're in a hard circumstance, the God is over your shoulder just watching you, pondering you, seeing how you're going to react, seeing what you're going to do, wanting you to do this, and then getting torn up inside when you decide to do that. That's the relationship we have with him, but we forget that. We get so wrapped up in today and we think he's so distant when he's right there. And if he's far away, it's only because we've moved. We've put him off. We, have given, we haven't given that space of our life to him. We don't let him be involved in the areas that we don't want him to tell us what, what we're doing is wrong. Think about that. It's amazing how humble he is to take that time to care about us and spend that time. So point number three. Are your actions begging God to wake you up despite his goodness? And what I mean by that is, do your actions require God to come into your life and rock your world? Are your actions indicative of that? Flip over to Romans chapter 13. You know, and you guys, you have, uh, you have an opportunity tonight. So like I said in my intro, it is much, much easier to obey, to, to obey God's command to be woken up by reading something in the Bible than to have him forcibly, forcibly come into your life and totally flip it upside down. And as the Bible says, even grind you to powder in circumstances. To which you come out of that circumstance never the same. Romans 13, verse 11 says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to what? Awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Paul said that all the way back in Romans. How close do you think it is now? Look around at everything that's being fulfilled. How close is our salvation now? Now is the time to awake out of our spiritual sleep. And I'm telling you, God will get you to wake up one way or another. It's either going to be by your own obedience or it's going to be by him rocking your world. And there are an infinite amount of ways that he can do that. I think about uh, my sister. We've, we've had, Brandy and I have had conversations about this. She's made some horrible decisions in her life growing up. And my biggest fear was, what is God going to do to our family to wake her up what is he going to have to do and i'm thinking who's going to come down with an illness who's going to die who's going to who's going to be in a fatal what's god going to do to wake her up what's god going to have to do in your life to wake you up and it's personal it's something it's it's between you and god but you can easily right now obey verse 11 recognizing that it's high time right now 
And you can awake out of your sleep and you can make a change right now. Because we're going to look, go back to Psalm 78. We're going to look at how God dealt with the nation of Israel when they wouldn't wake up. And don't forget that same God that was back then, that same God still, still is around today. One God, Old Testament and New Testament. Look at verse 17. So verse 16, it goes through, we looked at this, it goes through the goodness of God, what he provided for them in the wilderness. He brought, the stream, he brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Miracle. Verse 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore, the Lord heard this. All their whining, all their complaining, all their focusing on the negative. The Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came, against, came up against Israel. Why? So all those details, all those things they were complaining about. You know what it boils down to? Verse 22. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. That's it. It all boils down to your first check mark. It all boils down to believing God and trusting in his salvation. All those things that they were complaining about. You know what God gives us insight to? This is their heart. This is the, this is the problem. You know, we must be in the business of counting our blessings. I think back to Joshua 4 when they set up a memorial. You know, having a history to look back on where we believed God, where we trusted in his saving power and watched him work. Do you have anything to look back on? For those of you that are saved, I can guarantee you got at least one thing to look back on. But why don't you have a long list? Something we need to be honest with ourselves. The Bible is riddled with people that have a novel of things that they look back on. And be personal with yourself. Why don't you have things to look back on? If you have nothing to look back on, if you have no foundation, your salvation, your relationship with God, it's going to be pretty darn rocky. You know, that is so important. And it can only come through a deep relationship with God. You know, think about a marriage if something rocked it. False accusations about a spouse that requires trust. A family tragedy. Job loss. You know, how confident is Brandy going to be in my leadership through any of those times if we never spend any time together? If we don't have a close marriage? If I'm distant our entire marriage, if we never talk, if there's never any interaction between us, and then something rocks it where she's got to trust me in a decision I'm going to make, how confident is she going to be in me? Probably not very confident. There's going to be no faith in that relationship. The same thing happens in our spiritual relationship. When tragedy or hardship strike, the true level of trust and character comes out. Physically and in our spiritual relationship. And it's the same thing with God. What if you found out you were diagnosed with a terminal illness? How confident are you in your salvation? And I want you to understand, I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm not saying, okay, you have a terminal illness. Are you saved? Are you saved? It's so much more than that. I'm asking you if you believe it. 
Do you believe your salvation unto death? I want you to take a moment. Think about that. If you were in that position, if you, were, if you found out you had four weeks to live, would you be utterly freaking out about death? I get it. We'd be, I mean, it, that would rock your world, no doubt. But when you came to your senses and, and the, the rubber met the road spiritually, do you fully believe the things in this book? Do you, do you believe God? Do you trust his salvation? That's when your true character would come out. It's not about saying you're saved, being enough, and believing that, and then going on in your life and you know trying to block God out of your life, and then bam, tragedy hits. If you have no list to look back on, if you have no history of God working, I'm telling you, that tragedy, it is going to rock you, and not in a good way. You know, I look at people that have situations like that, and they're, they're able to go through those with a smile on their face. You know why? Because they've walked with God. They've had a close relationship with God their whole life. I'm sure Mike Blake, I'm sure he's tossing and turning all night. I can't imagine being a father going through that. I'm not saying I would be clicking my heels in that situation, but I have the utmost confidence that God would be in control of that. And it puts an immense amount of pressure on me as a parent to make sure that my child is in a situation and if they were going through that, I have the utmost confidence in their salvation. That same plea goes out to you guys. Where is your confidence? How close is your relationship with God? Look down at verse 29. Verse 29. So this is again, after another list of blessings that God provided for them, talking about how he fed them. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. What a dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. They were not estranged from their lust. In other words, their lust was very close. They held on to it. They were reaping the benefits. They were sucking God dry of his blessing, but holding on to their lust. (coughs) But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. So your last check mark. Judgment and sorrow fall as a disobedient heart. Every single time. Every time. And it might be at different levels, it might be different magnitudes, but every time judgment and sorrow will follow a disobedient heart, especially when it's not followed by repentance. We have a chance every day to change our heart's desire. If you feed it long enough, God will allow it to consume you, just like he did with Israel. The Bible says that the ignorance of these things will will still be followed by judgment in Acts 17. If you're running around life trying to be ignorant of the things of the Bible, just la, 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 doesn't cut it. Judgment is still coming for those things. Please understand that not knowing or not understanding these things does not protect you from the judgment that God has. If you're sitting here today, you are not ignorant of those things. God is speaking to you right now. God will not be mocked. And very, very few things mock God more than a Christian living a wretched life. So wake up. As leaders, and I know I can speak for everybody, we look around at the world 
And see how Satan is destroying the youth through more and more subtle and diabolical devices. And it breaks our hearts and it scares us. And please pay attention when we see no sense of urgency from some of you. When we stand up here and, and we look out and, and, and things just aren't clicking. Understand what's at stake out there. Understand the enemy that you have out there that is trying to destroy you. And he's trying to sugarcoat it with Disney World and all kinds of garbage. We need to wake up, understand our enemy and his devices. And it breaks our hearts and we pray for you guys. We care about you guys. But please understand that if you don't answer the call to wake up now, God will wake you up one way or another. And it's not going to be on your terms. And it's not going to be painless. And it's going to be followed by judgment and sorrow. So what are you going to do with these things? So in closing, I want you guys to look over at verse 34 and then we're going to end. God, un- God does understand. I know it seems like a heavy downer message, but God does understand our shortfalls and has compassion. Verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. Nevertheless, even still, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But look at how patient God is. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away. Many times did God turn his anger away from them. Many times does God turn his anger away from us. But there comes a point where he doesn't turn his anger away and judgment comes. And did not stir up all his wrath. Verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. God understands us. God has compassion. God wants us to succeed. But there comes a point where that anger, that wrath is not turned away. And judgment comes. Wake up time comes. Don't abuse God's compassion. Don't abuse his mercy. Don't take advantage of it. Because it will run dry. It will run out and the judgment will come. So what are you going to do with these things? What is God speaking to you about that you need to wake up before he comes in and he rocks your world? All right, let's pray. Actually, you know what? We have enough time. Why don't you, uh, groups of two or three, uh, pray with the person next to you. Be as open and honest and accountable as as you'd like to be, but, and I do ask that you guys would lift up uh, the Blake family and Josephine and what's going on there. And just that you'd be honest with God tonight.